0: Welcome to the Mainland Podcast, episode 27. I'm Michael Citro, the managing editor from the Mainland.com. Welcome to the program, everybody. We're here to talk about the 1-1 draw against Chicago Fire. We're going to look ahead to the New England Revolution this Saturday night. Joining me tonight are Alan Etzler and Andrew Harrison, uh, our intrepid writers over at the Mainland. Guys, how are you doing tonight?
1: Doing good. It's uh, good my first time on here, so it's pretty cool. I'm a seasoned veteran, so I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah, uh, Alan is Alan is a uh, mainland podcast virgin. So uh, we're going to we're going to get him broken in tonight and um you know, I like to have everybody on. Uh, we're taking turns and uh, sometimes guys are on 2-3 weeks in a row and then we don't hear from them for months <laughs> or at a time. So you never know who's going to be on. It's it's kind of an interesting thing. So anyway, uh, Chicago Fire came into town as the Eastern Conference's worst team. And, uh, they promptly took an early lead on Orlando City. Uh, David Accom turning Corey Ash inside out in the uh, right corner and then uh, drilling a shot to the near post that beat Tally Hall, which uh, was probably a goal that Tally would like back. Um, and then or- Orlando City came back a little bit later, uh, got a goal that was originally credited to Kyle Lahren to give him the MLS rookie goal-scoring record, and then it was changed to an Eric gehrig own goal that is supposedly being reviewed by MLS and it still has not been announced what the ruling is. So, um, And I've been checking with the team every day. They're getting sick of my texts. So um, we'll find out what that is. But I think the bottom line for me is that Orlando City looked like themselves. They got a lot of chances, even though they blew a lot of chances. <laughs> uh, they were dominant in possession. They but they created chances, they were dangerous. Um Chicago was was a threat on the counter with their speed, but other than that, Chicago wasn't really in the game. Aside from a, a brief spell after the first um, or after the eighteen minute um uh eighteen minute mark when there was a weather delay for an hour, they came back out, Chicago got on the front foot for a few minutes. But other than that, Orlando City I thought controlled the game. Alan, we'll start with you. Um what were your overall thoughts on the match and, and how Orlando City played and do you think they may have turned a corner?
2: Uh well, I think I'd like to see it more happen more than just once to say that they've turned a corner, but this did look like the team that we had seen play when they were in a good run of form um back in july and and even into june um as far as you know what Chicago was doing, the only offense they really had was when they went through a calm who just used his speed to to blow by people uh and not that many people are going to be as fast as David acom so that from that standpoint, it is a positive for Orlando City to take. Um, what they did offensively, I, I really liked what Carlos Rivas was doing. You know, Even though he didn't capitalize on his chances, he was uh, creating chances. And these were chances that we hadn't seen in a month from anybody outside on the wing. So I thought that was a, a really big positive for Orlando City. And I'm interested to see if he'll be in the lineup again Saturday. Well he won't be because he got a card. Oh that's card. right. Yeah, he is on the side. But, but if he gets more playing time going forward. Yeah, I and
0: I thought Carlos Rivas did have a, a positive game overall. Sure he had some some bad misses. He hit the post late where he could have had a game winner, um, where Kyle Larren set him up with a just a gimme. Um but, you know, these things happen, especially when guys haven't been playing a lot, and uh it'll be interesting to see, you know, what his you know, how he's used moving forward. I thought he had a terrific Terrific pass that he he cut across for Kaká at the top of the box, and Kaká, of all people, missed the net. So, I mean, everybody misses the net sometimes, um, and, and it was just unfortunate. But, but they were creating chances, and that's something we haven't seen of late. Uh, the game started with a two-hour weather delay. Now, I'm not going to call it a lightning delay because the... Initially, it was just rain. Initially, we were just waiting because people were late getting to the game and they wanted to give everyone a chance to get in and, and maybe let the wet, the rain let up a little bit. And that kind of backfired on Orlando City because the uh, when the teams came out and warmed up and they were getting ready to, to play, lightning came and they were sent off the pitch uh, for a very lengthy delay. Our Andrew Harrison was in the stands. Andrew, what was it like to go through that? Not only that delay, but then also to come back and after 18 minutes have the game called for another hour uh, before the play resumed.
1: It was just one of those things that, you know, you just, (laughs) it makes you realize that you're looking forward to the new stadium and a roof. Um, (laughs) It was just brutal to kind of go through that. It was, it just kept coming down harder. It was incredible how you thought it couldn't rain anymore. Um, And then it did. But what was amazing was just the spirit and the stance. Um, I think you really saw that when the players eventually did come onto the field and they were just like, we're going to skip the national anthem. And then basically the stadium sang it and everybody waited because we were that excited for the game. And there were so many people that had hung around and had actually made their way to the stadium. I think that it was just a nice feeling to be able to watch the game start it was a shame that it only lasted 18 minutes initially but what I saw in those 18 minutes was a team that wanted to play for those people in the stands Um, and I don't feel like we'd seen that in the past few weeks so it was really nice to be a part of that but also be a part of the fact that weather didn't keep people away we've seen that time and time again across this league where bad weather really lowers attendance and we didn't get that we had a big full stadium and a lot of people hung around and okay after the second hour and a half by the time the game got restarted. It really kind of dwindled, but those people that were there those are those the people that are going to make this team stay here in this town and make it be here for the long term.
0: Yeah, they really stuck it out. A, a, a big credit to the Orlando City fans. I know some went home uh, because, you know, it gets very, very late and as, as the the game gets pushed back and back and back, especially if you're there with kids. It's understandable. Some would leave. I understand that Security were security guards were telling people uh, that were coming into the game that the game had been called. So uh, there may have been some miscommunication downstairs that, that prevented some more people from coming in or at least for, from staying. Um, yeah,
1: I, I but, will say that. Sorry, just a thingy that the, the, sure. the, the security weren't great at keeping people informed, and they weren't. Everybody was telling a different story, and then, you know, you had some of the leaders of the supporters group saying one thing, which was, you know, make sure you stay or don't care what they, they're going to tell you. But then there was other ones who were like, no, you can't even go out. They won't even let you hold anything. And mm-hmm. it was really kind of hard to be in that as a fan because we'd already, they made, you know, some of us stood out in the rain for like two straight hours while it poured. You remember um, you know, to be told that we then had to go back and find our seats, and they were really n- doing no good with trying to keep people out of your seats, even if you'd been standing there. It was it was pretty shambolic in terms of the stadium, but, you know, that comes with having our own stadium too, and I'm sure it'll get better.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, games like that are no fun for anybody, the, the people working at the stadium. Uh, it makes for a longer night for them. Uh, obviously, it you know they're they may be getting mixed messages and communication sort of breaks down in those situations at times when when there's you know big electrical storms going on and people have their their radios under their rain jackets so they don't get wet and that kind of thing so you know it was it was a tough night all around in terms of trying to get the game in, but they did get it in and the team really did respond Aurelien and Colin and and a few others came out and were immediately applauding the fans when they came onto the pitch for the match um which was interesting to see usually you see that at the end of the game uh but this was you know certainly the players showing their appreciation for the fans that hung around and, and toughed it out so that was it was great to see that um but in terms of the the overall match play and and i guess the first thing i want to do is I'm, let's talk about the goal let's talk about the goal was it Kyle Laren's goal or was it an Eric Garrig Eric Garrig own goal because i have a hard time Telling if the bottom line is that if, if Kyle Laren has shot the ball or is, has made an attempt at goal that has gone on goal and then it gets deflected in, it's, it's Kyle Laren's goal. If it is not going on frame and it gets deflected in, it's an own goal. So it's very, very difficult to tell uh, when the ball comes off of Laren where it was actually going to go. Alan, do you have an opinion on this?
2: To me, when I saw it, I thought it was a clear Laren goal. And then I I looked at still shots from, uh you know, social media and things like that in the past couple of days. I still think it's pretty clear that it, it should be Laren's goal just because I can't really see Gehrig touch it. I don't know where it's hitting off of Gehrig when I look at the still shots. um To me, it looks like even if it was deflected, it looked like Laren I, – I don't know how to judge trajectory, but it looked like it would at least been close to goal. um. But at the same time, I don't want to give the goal to Kyle anymore because it, to me, it's a moment for the kid, and he doesn't get to have that moment uh, if they award him this goal. You, you know, it's kind of it kind of ruined the moment for him, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I understand that. I, I think though, and there's there's also the school of thought that it takes the pressure off of him if they give him the goal and he's got the record. That's so, true also. Um, I, well, I will say this: is I did clearly see that the ball glanced off of Laren and went off of Gary's right shoulder. Now. Gary, the ball was going downward after it left Laren, but I can't tell if it was going on frame or not. Once it hit Gary, it popped up in the air and went over Sean Johnson. So that's how I saw it. Um, Andrew, have you looked at the replay? What do, What are your thoughts on it?
1: I, I'm kind of going to go with Alan. It's just so hard to see. I don't think there's a great angle because Gary really kind of shields the ball with his body for the deflection. Um, I... Kind of am more tempted to also go with Alan. The fact that if Emil, I feel like the reason we haven't had a decision yet is because MLS doesn't want to ruin the moment for this kid breaking a record. But I think what we also have to admit is he didn't get up and celebrate like he just scored the rookie record goal. And I feel like that's playing into their decision a little bit too. Like if he he felt like it was his goal, I feel like he would have gotten a little bit more crazy, whereas he kind of just sits there. And I don't know if it's that moment where he just hasn't let it sunk, sink in yet, but I feel like he would have celebrated a little more if he really felt it was his goal.
2: He's also a yeah. fairly timid kid, though. Uh, I don't know,
1: but you 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 just scored the MLS rookie record goal that you know puts your name in the books. There's not many more people who are going to get that chance because they're not going to get the right. minutes, they're not mm-hmm. going to get the opportunities, they're not going to have the service of playing with somebody Like a car right behind them. And I think it's just, it's interesting that he has, he's had such a phenomenal season and he didn't take that opportunity if he really felt like it was his goal deep down.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. Sometimes when there's a big moment like that, guys will sit there and kind of, you know, let it sink or wash over them. And and it's kind of, it's a heavy moment. And sometimes, you won't see quite the the big celebrations that you might expect. You know, some guys are exuberant right away. Other guys, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. Like if one one that I look back on is if you remember in the World Cup when John Brooks scored, that was an unusual sort of celebration. It was sort of like his mouth just dropped and he like put his hands over his face. You, if you looked at him in that moment, you didn't know what had just preceded it. You might think he just got a red card.
1: <laughs> I guess know? so.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's. I wouldn't judge it certainly by the the reaction, but I would say that um, the most important thing is to get it right. And I'm all forget, erring on the side of the offensive player. I mean, um, in fact, my background's in hockey, so my thought on it is there's no such thing as an own goal in hockey. It's the last player to touch it or the closest player. That should get credit for the goal. So, you know, if you make a cross and it goes off a player and in, you sort of made that goal, so I mean, to, to give a guy an own goal is sort of like hanging a goat horns on somebody. But if that guy wasn't in the box making that cross, that goal doesn't happen anyway. So, um, you know, in, in hockey they reward the offensive player; they don't penalize the defensive player. Which um, maybe that's just an English thing you know, it came <laughs> from a, came from England. You know, they're they're a little self deprecating. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, why don't we talk about the the fact that uh, Mr. Rivas is going to be missing against the New England Revolution, uh, in addition to a bunch of guys uh, on international duty, Kaká, Kyle Laren and Darwin Saren, they're all going to be out. Uh, we're not going to have Breck Shea back yet. If we do have him back, he may be in the 18, but I don't believe he'll start, and he probably won't play more than 10 minutes on that turf up in New England. We'll see. But um, uh, guys, you know, what do we think is, is going to happen, you know, tactics wise, or at least lineup wise, uh, going into Saturday night? Alan, I'll start with you and then we'll get to Andrew. You know, what's, how is this team going to line up?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, well, you, every time I think I have him figured out, he changes it, even when he doesn't have to. Um, on the back line, I mean, I think they've started to play a little bit better. I thought they looked good against Chicago. I really like Ash being in the lineup. I like when he's on the field because he can push forward. Um, I think the defensive midfielders, uh, I believe it's going to be Carrasco and Higita. I, I would assume. Um, I, I, the person you really have to, to fill is Kaka. I mean, we have guys who can play up top. They won't be as good as Kyle Aaron. Um, but with without Kaká, you know there's really nobody who can who can be Kaka um you know Lewis Neal has played in the mid Ribeiro has played in the in the center so I would I would assume maybe one of those two guys but I don't know I'm not I'm not really feeling very good about the that that particular position
0: Andrew what do you think you think we might see Neal in the middle of like Bowdoin on the left and I don't know, Avila or somebody or Winner on the right, probably, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, I'd imagine Winner comes back. I mean, he didn't, obviously, he hasn't really had the ability to show what he can do yet due to those two consecutive red cards, Turner and Ramos, and always getting pushed back in that position, and then he got sent off himself, plus he missed the other game. So I definitely see him on the right. Um, I would say that, I would imagine since we had some success with Ribeiro, uh, Ribeiro he starts up front um, in place of Laren, um, so he wouldn't slot into that midfield. I think as Lewis has got older, maybe the center mid role would suit him a little bit more. And I think he is a little bit more defensive minded occasionally, so he might help some cover for Carrasco, who has sometimes looked out of his depth. And this is a team where, against New England, where he could certainly look out of his depth if they play him at pace and he just gets turned on the wrong side and it it Mm -hmm. could be dangerous um i definitely think ash will make a play for a starting role i I do agree with alan i think we look better with him on the field um and definitely bowden going forward i would love to see if we could get shea some minutes but i don't know with that turf like you say if it's going to be worth the risk because we really need him heading down the stretch yeah, I,
0: I'm, I think I'm sort of in, come to this conclusion in my own mind that I think, um, Neil will play in the middle, uh, of Winter and Bowden in the attacking midfield and then we'll see Ash playing behind Bowden at left back and Ramos on the right. Um, I think that gives you your best, it certainly gives you your best pace on the outside against a, a very quick, uh, New England counterattack. Um, they can they can come at you very, very quickly, turn things around, and I think you're going to need somebody with Ash's pace and somebody with Ramos's pace to to uh, fill those roles. And I agree with you about Ribeiro up top. I think he's probably your best bet remaining on the bench right now um, for that striker role. And uh, Iguita and Carrasco seems like a, probably a done deal, um, unless they change shape. Uh, this might be one of those weird instances where Adrian Heath decides – let me try a 442 against this and see what I, you know, see what these guys can do. Um he's been very very reluctant to go to a 442 this year but uh that's it's certainly an option. I think it's I think I don't think that he likes the predictability of it but I think um everybody who's played soccer kind of knows how to play a 442 and you know, it's comfortable for them so I think it it might be when you when you're uh, one of those things when you're down uh, a few guys, and you really need something reliable. The old four four two might not be a bad thing to fall back on. So, uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I got to have you guys as man of the match for uh, the Chicago Fire game. I'm already on record. I did player grades this week, so I'm already on record that Igita was my man of the match. Alan, who was yours?
2: Well, I was up there in the press box with you and said I thought Igita was uh, the best player on the field that night, also. Uh, so he he was mine. I just felt he did a much better job. Um, controlling the offense, keeping possession with the team—you um, know—that's th- one of the things that we hadn't seen the defensive midfield do in the past couple of matches. Was keep possession, and uh, they were able to do that against Chicago. So I, w- I went with Higita as well. Andrew,
1: um, I got to agree with you both on Higita. Um, I thought he played really well. I actually thought he was one of those players that really, really wanted to get this team back on track that night. And. I love that passion from him because I feel like we'd missed that from some of our players in the previous weeks. Um, but a corollary to that would be my more game player who's getting better every week has been Mateos. I think he's really starting to get better as a player, and I was really concerned when I first saw him, but I felt a little bit more secure than him playing center back after playing a pacey Chicago forward um, set up.
0: Yeah, I thought Mateos has certainly his best game uh, since joining Orlando City, which you would expect. I mean, it's going to take guys coming over from Europe. They're rusty. They haven't played since the spring. You know, it's going to take them a few games. They have to learn their teammates. They have to learn a new, co- new coach, new system, new culture. All of that is new. And even though these guys are veterans and some have played in multiple countries, it's not an easy thing to just slot right in and be great. So I know people were – complaining on Twitter about Mateos and they were complaining, you know, certainly on our website about him and in winter as well. But it's like, you haven't seen what they can do yet. You just haven't, we haven't, our fans haven't even seen what Carlos Rivas can do yet. They don't know what Carlos Rivas is capable of because he hasn't got that many minutes really. And he's, he's, you know, just when he started to get comfortable, he came out of the lineup for a while. So, um, you know, it's soccer is a game where if you're not playing, you know, it can affect you. And then when you you can't just throw somebody out there because chemistry is a big part of the game. So um, it's interesting that we all agree on our man of the match. That hardly ever happens. <laughs> and so I guess we must be have gotten it right. What I really liked about Aguita this week is that he channeled that passion. He wasn't reckless with his challenges. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't barking at the official. You know, the whole night he was. He was just up in his uh, opponent's face like all the time, and and being hard to play against, and that's what Adrian Heath wants out of him and Saren is to to be difficult to play against, to make people not want to play against you, and that the way you do that is you take the ball away, you you get in their passing lanes, you get in their face as soon as they got the ball. And I thought that, that he did a very good job of that. Saren, I thought, had a, a, a slow first hour of the game, but I thought he, the final 30 minutes, he was as good as anybody on the pitch. He really, really started slow for me and, and made a lot of, um bad passes, some turnovers, and, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was one thing where it was like, I was just about ready to just say, let's get Servando Carrasco out there, and then he started to turn it around and, and play better. The last 30 minutes, he was very, very good. Uh, So it's a shame that he's now off to have a World Cup qualifier with El Salvador. Uh, But, you know, such is the life here for Orlando City fans. It's just when things start to go your way, they still don't go your way. Uh, But um, so, uh, you know, overall, uh, Andrew, let me go back to you a little bit about your overall thoughts on Chicago. I mean, is this is this something that the team can build on?
1: Um, I would love to say yes, but I feel like we're celebrating a little early in that they were the bottom team in the East and we're congratulating ourselves playing against those guys. I feel like if we can take it into the next game and feel that passion, but of course there is going to be that team feeling that without Kakar, without Laren, who've scored 20 goals between them, that we're not going to have that chance to break down a solid New England team. There's... Fairly safely into the playoffs. Um, I think that we have to come back after this game. If we've still played that well, then we can start to say that we're turning it around. But I, you know, I I don't want to get too excited about one good performance i wouldn't say it was a great performance it was just a good performance that we can build on and take to the next step but once again we're losing some building blocks so we're going to have to move the wall over slightly and rebuild it a little bit until we can put those pieces back
0: yeah you're you're right i mean it's and it's going to be hard to build on a, a performance where you're going to lose um you know four guys who started in the game um on Saturday, and 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 you you know you bring up a good point. Chicago's a bottom feeding team, and they even though they had just won a game, they had played at midweek. So again, you know maybe some some tired legs. Harry Ship didn't even start the game; he came in, uh, you know, as a second half substitute. So, um, you know, it, it, yeah, for me it's guarded optimism because it's been since August first uh, against Columbus that the team has has. You know, dominated possession and looked dangerous into the attack, and certainly they did look dangerous in the attack. But they didn't finish those chances, so there's still still some work to be done there. I think, um, uh, moving forward. But um, you know, we've got New England coming up on Saturday. Uh, we we've, we've talked a little bit about you know the form you know formation and lineup and that kind of thing. We're going to bring in our our special guest now. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the revolution and you know what we can expect Saturday night from the uh, from the big matchup. All right joining us uh on the mainland podcast this week uh, our guest is from the bent musket writer uh seth mccomber seth uh welcome to the mainland podcast
3: hey thanks for having me uh, i gotta say guys before i get going is i actually was able to visit your your stadium see your team and i gotta say that you guys have kind of a party situation going on there it, it felt more like a party <laughs> than actually uh, a soccer game there's a lot of chanting going on and uh a lot, a lot of fun in the stands there. So props to you guys. First year in the the league here. I know you were in uh, the lower divisions before, but you guys put it. You guys do it right. It's definitely uh, worthwhile. Definitely worth going down there. Don't tell anyone I was down there. By the way, <laughs> <laughs>
0: were you at the uh, Were you at the first matchup between the two teams? So the, did you come down for the Revs game?
3: No, it actually just happened that I was at a Colorado Rapids game, uh, and, and you won. So I think that was probably a little bit better of a atmosphere than maybe. That was, a, a, it was a good game. game
0: yeah. That was in the run of, uh, and actually that was the last game in a run of really good form for the Lions, and then uh, July came along, and everything kind of turned on its head. Um,
2: they still kind of uh, <laughs> party, though, when they're at those games. They do have a really passionate fan base. I think it helps that there's a college about 10 minutes from the stadium where you have a lot of those college students also.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a good atmosphere and we really, um, it's always kind of been that way, even when the crowds were a little smaller, uh, in USL. So, um, you know, the, the club has, uh, built it up and, and, the supporter culture has built the right way, I think. Seth, we wanted to have you on uh, to give us a little lowdown on the Revs. And, uh, obviously the, the first match between the two clubs, uh, was a couple of months ago. And, uh, the Revolution took a 2-0 lead and, uh, the Lions came storming back to, and ended in a 2-2 draw. What has changed with New
3: England since the last time these two teams have met? Yeah, so I I think obviously one of it is is having uh – You know Jermaine Jones back. Unfortunately, he won't be there for this weekend. But I think just having him around the team uh, boosts it quite a bit. The team talks a lot about how Jermaine Jones affects the morale, how it gives him that can-do attitude. Even though he's, you know, he's been back since the injury for three games now, and he hasn't really played that many minutes. Uh, Right before he left for national team duty, he had uh, you know sixty-one minutes before he left the field. So you know that's a brief stint. uh, Before the the previous two were uh, brief as well. But I think just having Jermaine nearby, that, that idea that he is going to be a part of the team is is absolutely huge. I think also uh, moving beyond that and something that's going to be more relevant this weekend, I think the uh, the attack has found their form. Um, I think before you know some of these guys weren't necessarily at their peak. Now you have Diego Fagundes; he scored a goal this past weekend. Uh, he's now on three and three for the season, three goals and three assists. Uh, you have uh, Lee Wynn, who's actually been quite good over the last month. He's been uh, very, very uh, successful. He hasn't reached those those heights of M.B. Lee of last year. And the last person to kind of mention here is is Charlie Davies. I mean, Charlie Davies is, you know, playing the hold-up man. He's playing the the goal scorer. He's, like, well-rounded as far as a player goes. I mean, for a guy who who spent so long without a goal, without a professional goal. It's amazing how great he's been for the Revolution. Imagine that this is a team that has Juan Agudelo and Teal Bunbury on the bench. You know, that's that's a pretty dangerous team to have. So once these guys are clicking on all cylinders, uh, it's definitely really dangerous. And I think that the defense is shored up as well. That's an underrated storyline. You talked about how the Orlando uh, City Lions, they were able to uh, come back and, and grab that 2-2 tie. I I think that the uh, defense has shored things up a little bit. Uh, Andrew Farrell was just on team of the week. He is absolutely sensational. Uh, Watch how he plays. He's, you know, uh, usurped the the position of top defender from uh, Jose Gonzalez. And on the right side, you have Jeremy Hall, who was not playing at the beginning of the season. He wasn't much of a a factor. He's kind of settled in nicely. And, of course, on the other side, Chris Tierney. So I think overall, the, the, the team's... The best thing I think the way to consider it is that the team has um tightened the, the bolts. I think that they're they're looking at the this uh, stretch of, of games as something that they can actually uh come together and march towards the playoffs
2: Seth you uh you mentioned Charlie Davies and uh, Michael, I think you talked about this on Saturday when we were at the game, actually. um you know Charlie's one of the best success stories in soccer. Is there any talk up in New England as far as this kid maybe getting some consideration again for the USMNT squad? Uh, Do you hear anything about that? Do you think it's possible just because of how well he's played this season?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely talk about it. Charlie's talked about it himself quite a bit, that uh, the Charlie Davies story is a great story. He'll admit it. He understands that he was on the verge of dying um, and that that he's lucky that he's able to play professional soccer again. And he, yeah, he he wants to be there. He wants to to at least get that cap again. And what's interesting about Charlie Davies is that, you know, this whole experience has changed him as a player a little bit. And what I mean by that is that he's not just the, the speedster. He's not just the guy who's going to burn you and, and head to goal. He's playing as a, a hold-up forward. He admitted himself that he was not a number nine. He did not view himself as a number nine. But he's playing that role quite well. And he's beating out uh, Juan Aguadelo for that role. That's huge, that Charlie Davies is beating Aguadelo out for that, that starting role. And there's a, you know, there's talk about it, absolutely. But the problem is, uh, as everyone knows, you can't really predict Klinsman. And, you know, he hasn't gotten that call-up yet. I don't think right now would probably be his time to get called up. Uh, You'd probably integrate him during, uh, you know, a January camp or something like that. Not in the lead-up to the Big Mexico, uh, you know, game in in October. But, you know, you you hope that Charlie Davies does get it. Because I often say that if there's going to be a 30-for-30, Charlie Davies is quite the the story to tell. Uh, This year, when you look at his stats, he has nine goals and two assists. There's not a lot of Americans ahead of him. You look at, you know, Josie Altidore, you look at Will Bruin, you look at Chris Rolfe. So uh, there's not, a, you know, Chris Wanolowski, there's other probably names on there. But he's, he's listed among the top uh, goal scorers in MLS, so it'd be foolish not to look at him. But I don't know exactly when or if his time will ever come because he is advancing in age and, and we don't know exactly how Klinsman thinks.
1: Um, and then heading into this Saturday, do you guys get a sense that realistically you're happy, despite Orlando being in a slump, that you're happy that you know, both Kakar and Kyle Aaron are going to be missing for us? And Do you guys kind of see this as an easy three points heading into this weekend?
3: I think anyone in New England has learned that there's not there's not never easy three points. I mean, uh, a few years back, you know, DC was beating us when they they couldn't get a win at all and they were like tying us. And, and so there's no in MLS there is no easy uh, three points. Uh, you often hear Jay Heath talk about one game at a time, one game at a time. Uh, he's not going to take any competition lightly. That being said, I think that you know, anytime you don't have someone like a car, you don't have someone like Kyle Aaron, you don't have a lot of the bodies that you're. Um, that your opponent is so focused on, so dependent on, of course you're going to be happy. At the same time, I think the Reds would want to have Jermaine Jones. Um, Instead of Jermaine Jones, you're probably going to see Daigo Kobayashi, who who doesn't nearly play uh, as well as defense as uh, Jermaine Jones. Or you might see Andy Dorman, who in some ways is like a walking... Uh, yellow card waiting to happen. He's often getting called for these types of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, of course the the team is happy not to have it. I don't think anyone's taking Orlando City completely like, uh, lightly, even though there are slumping. Um, but they'd absolutely be happy to walk away with three points uh, this Saturday.
0: Yeah, not just uh, the, the team has been uh, in a bad run of form, but also Orlando City without Kaká, without Kyle Laren, without Carlos Rivas. And... Um, you know, and Darwin Saren is gone as well on international duty. And Breck Shea, even if he plays, he won't be starting. He'll be probably coming off the bench late in the game. So uh a really, really wounded uh team as far as um injuries and, and international call ups and those kind of things go. And that's been an ongoing story with Orlando City all year. Um Seth, tell us what we can expect tactically from new england how will they align you know what formation will they use and and what is their sort of bread and butter in terms of of, of how they approach the game uh, during this run of form
3: sure so they, they've basically stuck to the same formation uh this year as last year they're gonna play a four two three one uh your, your back line i already mentioned you are going to have bobby shuttleworth in goal you're gonna have chris tierney uh jose Gonzalez. uh Andrew Farrell, and right back is going to be Jeremy Hall. The uh, your midfielders, you're going to have Scott Caldwell, who's very, very good. If you want to like just kind of watch someone play that that's, doesn't always get the credit he deserves, uh, watch Scottie Caldwell because uh, it's interesting. When he first came to the league, he was a smaller guy, but he's bulked up quite a bit, and you can see just like these smarter plays he makes, shoulder-to-shoulder tackles. Just you know, He's a really huge asset to the team, and Jermaine Jones actually pegged him at one point to be someone that he hopes replaces him on the national team. So that's kind of a, a player to watch if you want to watch someone next to him will either be uh, Andy Dorman or Diego Kobayashi depends on the, which way uh, coach Jay Heaves wants to go. Uh, I probably might lean towards uh, Kobayashi unless he wants to go more defensive with Andy Dorman uh, in front of that. You'll see uh, Lee win. As I mentioned, it has been very, very sharp. Uh, you'll see uh, Diego Fagunas. You also see Kellen Rowe. Kellen Rowe is kind of an interesting player because, uh, he, he's, he's very streaky. He's a very good player. Some people rate him very, very highly and think that he should be on the national team. But he really, for me, hasn't shown the consistency that you want. Uh, so he, he'll likely be there, but you can all, maybe see Juan Godello, Teal Bunbury, and up top you'll see Charlie Davies. So that gives you a lo- rundown of who you're, you're likely to see on the field uh, this weekend. As far as tactics go, they want to uh, use their space. They want to have space. You see that when you know some of these guys are able to pick up their head, they can find amazing passes. This past weekend, we saw you know um, Chris Tierney play a throw-in to Charlie Davies, and Charlie Davies took a nice touch to uh, Diego Fugundes, and Diego Fugundes just had miles of space, so much space that he was able to just really line up and, and hit a shot that put him in contention for goal of the week. And it was a, a New England-based goal. All those guys are from New England, and it just shows you that if you give these guys too much space, They're able to punish you. They're able to put that ball into the back of the net.
2: Uh, Seth, you know, you mentioned that a a lot of these guys are in a good run of form right now. And I can't help but look at your schedule from the past month and see you guys only played three matches in August. Orlando's been a lot more taxed. They played seven matches in August. Uh, How do you feel like that's helped with this team being in a good run of form, not being overtaxed as far as minutes played go?
3: It's, I think it's a blessing and a curse. It depends on you know, how you look at it. It depends on uh, who you ask. I think that if you ask the team, they wish that the, some of these breaks came earlier in the season, you know, when they were going through that slump and they had to keep you know, dog fighting and keep going and keep going. Um, but at the same time, it was nice to try to get you know, a guy like Jermaine Jones back onto the field. Uh, Kellen Rowe had to come out with a knock, but he was able to recover because of that, that break. So I think uh, when we look at injuries, I think it was uh, beneficial in that way. But in other ways, it, it hurts momentum a little bit, you know? Like, if you're, if you're winning and, and you want to keep going, uh, like you talk to a guy like Charlie Davies, he doesn't want to take a break. He wants to keep going. He wants to score more goals. The other thing to think about is, you know, who some of the teams that the, the Rebs were facing, I mean, you look at their winning streak. We're talking about, you know, Philadelphia Union. You know, we know about Philadelphia Union. Um, they only beat them 1-0. Houston Dynamo was a 2-0 win, but that was a a game that was, you know, the lightning storm that, you know, lasted, you know, over two days. Uh, The win against uh, (laughs) Toronto FC, that's a good win. Uh, But, you know, Toronto FC is also a hard team to peg. You know, they're up and down, up and down. So this this winning streak that they have, and NYC FC is in there as well, this winning streak that they have isn't necessarily completely indicative of, the heights that this team can have. This team is vulnerable in some ways. I mean, you, you date back and you look at, you know, their, their last l- loss was against the uh, Red Bulls, a 4-1 loss. That's a pretty comprehensive loss to have. And then uh, soon after that was that 2-2 draw against uh, Chicago Fire. So there are weaknesses for this team. Uh, so when you look at the, like, the, the winning streak isn't necessarily, you have to kind of dig into it a little bit to understand that it's a good winning streak to have, but the opponents weren't exactly the, the top of the league.
0: All right, Seth. Well, you know it's uh, you know it's going to probably be a, a good game for you guys because you're going to probably have a, a numbers advantage given that Orlando City gets a red card just about every game, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're going to get the Geiger Show on Saturday night. So uh, that could add some fun and excitement to the to the match as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, but but uh, you know, we appreciate you coming on and, and giving us a little, the lowdown on uh, on our opponents this Saturday, and it's uh, you know the last uh, meeting of the season, unless there's a, a playoff meeting. So uh, this is a very, very important match for Orlando City. Uh, but of course, they have yet to play well with Kaká out of the lineup. So um, you know, who knows what's going to happen? MLS. Just when you think you you have it pegged, you know. Something changes. I mean, we we came into the Philadelphia match seeing two of the three uh, teams in the league with the three most conceded goals, and it was a zero zero draw. So you never know what you're going to get with MLS, and and you really never know what you're going to get with with pro refs. So, um, uh, you know, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, aside from Saturday night, we wish you guys luck the rest of the way.
3: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, again, uh, I hope to make it down there again. It was a fun stadium, uh, and, and you guys have definitely done well for an expansion side. So, yeah, kudos to you for a good season, and, and uh, let's see what happens this weekend.
0: All right, we're, we're just about ready to wrap up this edition of the Mainland Podcast. We definitely want to thank our guest, Seth, from the Bent Musket uh, for coming on the show and giving us the lowdown on the New England Revolution, he's you know knowledgeable dude. You know, check him out over at thebentmusket.com. dot com, um, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly uh, we appreciate him giving us the skinny because it's been a while since we've seen the Revs, and uh, a lot has changed since that two two draw uh, that night, which was a really cool game by the way. I mean, uh, that was one of my favorite moments I think when when uh, Aurelian Collin was calling for the ball and moving forward and. All of a sudden, your center back is playing striker. And lo and behold, he scores on a header and ties the game. So that was a, that was one of the, I think, when I look back at the season, that's one of the moments that stands out for me. But let's look ahead. And, uh, Alan, I'm going to start with you. I want to know what you expect to see on Saturday night and what your predicted final score will be.
2: Well, I'd like to see Orlando still have uh, 11 guys available um, with all the people that we're going to be missing on international duty. <laughs> Uh, I think the, the person that I am watching, and this might just be because I'm a huge USMNT fan and I've always been a huge Charlie Davies fan because I'm from the DC area. Uh, I'll be watching Charlie Davies just because his comeback story is so good. He's playing so well right now. And you have to think that the Orlando City back line is going to key on him and keep him from, from finding the back of the net. Um, so that's the guy I'm watching. And honestly, I think they that back line is really starting to come together. That's one of the positives I've been taking uh from last game and then the game you know, the game before that. I think they're starting to gel a little bit. There's been constant improvement since David Mateos has been inserted into the lineup. Um I, I guess if I had to pick a final score, I I I'm predicting this to be low scoring. Um I wouldn't be surprised if it's a zero zero draw to be honest. Just because Orlando City is, is kinda lacking offense coming into this. Uh, but their defense is playing really well.
0: Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, Andrew, what's your what's your key matchup on Saturday, and uh, what's your prediction?
1: Um, my key matchup is got to be, uh, depending on the lineup, it's got to be um, when and Bunbury um, playing, keeping it wide, and then seeing how they can actually do on the matchups um, between Ramos and Ash. Um, and with Bowden tracking back, maybe that extra wing back will help. Um, I've definitely got to feel that that's going to be our weakness. We haven't played wide all season, um, unless when we were actually winning. We've been playing very narrow. I'm very concerned that they're just going to get the crosses in. and We won't be able to deal with it. Um, having gotten the prediction right last week, um, I am going to go with a 2-1 New England win. Um, I just feel like they're going to have the pace um, we're missing some really key guys that, that could probably hold us together, um, and I just think they I just think they're going to be better on the night for us against us.
0: All right. Well, my key matchup, I think, is the Orlando City defensive midfield. Can Carrasco and Agüita uh, protect that back line from that wave after wave of New England attack? Um, I don't expect Orlando to have a large percentage of the possession in this game because of who's missing. Um I think that when you have guys like uh Kaká and Laren and Rivas, you, you, those guys create space for each other. And the guys that are going to be replacing them are not the kinds of guys that are going to take defenders away from the others. So I think that it's going to be difficult for Orlando City to score. And I, I'm going to also predict a 2-1 New England um, win in this game because I just think playing on the road, this team has not played well on the road. And if they get somebody sent off, it's gonna be an ugly lopsided final score. But I'm hoping that even that the Geiger shell will keep the red in his pocket, uh, and that Orlando City can at least finish with eleven men and uh you know, keep it a respectable scoreline. Uh may you know, maybe they get you know, maybe they get some kind of crazy bounce, some own goal or something weird or a penalty and maybe get out of there with a draw. It would be really, really super to get out of there with a point. But um being realistic the way that New England has been playing and with with Orlando City's uh, heavy, heavy losses to international duty and injury and suspension, um, it's a lot to ask for the team to go up to New England and, and, you know, take a point or more out of Foxborough. So um, I am, I think, on your side on that, Uh, Andrew.
2: Damn, I'm the optimist, huh? Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. And when the optimist is predicting nil-nil, that says a lot, I think.
1: (laughs) That says he's been watching the games closely and he's – really as optimistic as we are
0: that's right that's right well
1: uh guys i think that's just about
0: a wrap for this week uh, i appreciate you coming on and uh you know talking about the fire talking about the revs and uh I'm, I'm you know for once it's nice to do one of these we're not talking about like a 4-0 loss with a guy getting sent off in the first half so uh, at least there's that so we can maybe we as a podcast we can build on that for this week <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So um, be sure to check out uh, all of our game coverage at themainland.com. It's main M-A-N-E, like Alliance Main. mane. Uh, also check us out on Twitter, the, at themainland, same M-A-N-E, the, at themainland is our Twitter handle. Uh, we'll be live tweeting the game. Obviously we'll, we'll be uh, tweeting out our stories, so you can uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and uh, all of that fun stuff. And uh, we will see you, we'll be back next week. Uh, on behalf of Alan Etzler, And Andrew Harrison will be back next week to uh, to break down the New England Revolution and talk about, uh, I believe, Sporting Kansas City? I think that sounds right. Uh, And, um, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm closing in on a birthday, so maybe we'll even have a little birthday celebration. So uh, until next week, I am Michael Citro signing off from the Mainland Podcast, Episode 27, saying, Go City!